My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Anthology. Um, my wife and I have been here about three months. We love it. I uh, got incredibly sunburned this week because I'm not used to this Los Angeles sun sign yet. So, um, To my uh, family listening at home on the podcast, just picture a giant lobster holding an iPad, and that's what you have going on in this room. So anyway, with that tangent to start off with, um, I'm excited today to go through Psalm 37 with all of you. We're going to go through that today. We're going to look at... Um, our God who is a God of justice. So we're going to look at justice today. We're going to look at that from Psalm 37. We're going to see that in other places in God's Word to us to see what, what is justice, um, why is it important, and how do we do it. Um, but there's some things that go hand in hand with that as well. And one of those things is wrath. Well, Los Angeles Church Plan are going to talk about what? Wrath, yes. So where I come from, I remember seeing some pastors, they were those fire and brimstone type preachers where they get up and they talk about how angry God is and um, where are you going to go if you die today? Are you going to go to heaven or are you going to burn for eternity in hell? And so then they get pretty much a 100% conversion rate because they ask the room, who wants to go to hell? And everyone other than the kid in the Metallica t-shirt and the mullet raises his hand, I want to go, yeah, sounds great. You know, people don't want to go there and so they're like, oh, I don't want to go, I don't want to do that because they don't want to face the wrath of a sovereign God who hates sinners. Um, and so the, the concept of justice and the concept of wrath are going to go hand in hand because we see that when we read the Bible, we see that God does get angry and bad things do happen to people that don't go with Him. They don't follow Him. They don't trust Him. So how do we reconcile this where we see the God of the Old Testament and we see um, where people die when they turn against God? We see uh, entire world is wiped out in Genesis 6 with Noah, right? Uh, where we see the whole population of the planet is wicked except for Noah and his family, and so God kills them all. And then we see later with Sodom and Gomorrah, there's a, a city, no righteous people in it, so God burns the whole city to the ground and everyone dies, right? These are not happy stories. So this is something that we have to reconcile, right? We have to read our Bibles and go, okay, so I see the God that acts like this, and then I see the God of love and mercy and grace in the New Testament. And you've got people that wrestle with that throughout church history. We're not the first people to think through this. And some react very differently from others. Where you've got one guy named Marcion in the early church who is really trying to reconcile and understand, okay, I read the Old Testament, I see that God is very angry and wrathful and He kills people, and then I see New Testament Jesus who loves us all and wants us to be peaceful with one another, and I don't think those are the same God. That's how Marcion handled it. He actually kind of created a separation between the Old and New Testament. And that's a weakness that we all can have. That's why I want to think through this. So I want to think through this today. We're going to walk through the concept of wrath and then how that goes together with God's justice. And then furthermore, and this is the beauty of Scripture, is that when wrath and justice come together, you get redemption in the end. You don't get punishment, you get redemption. When you accept what, when you, when you accept what God is doing, when you read this and understand it the way God is intending us to understand it, when you respond to Him, redemption is what comes out of God's wrath for us. Because His wrath is not put on us anymore, it's put on someone else. We're going to go into that some more. So we're going to go into Psalm 37. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 9 to start off with. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. 
Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. For those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So right off the bat here, we see, see this distinction, right? We see that there are those who are going to get God's wrath, and there are those who are going to get His love. And they're going to get His mercy, and they're going to get His grace. And there's a difference here. So why is there a difference? We're going to, go, we're going to walk through that. Because that is fundamental to the, to the cause of justice. In, in this psalm, and often in the psalms, there's a certain structure where the writer is trying to communicate something, not just in the words of what he says, but in the way he writes it. So in the Hebrew, this passage is kind of shaped like an arrowhead, where it's kind of pointed, where you go through and you have themes that are recurring as you go through, and it gets to a central theme right in the middle, and the themes from the first part recur again as it, as it goes back. And so what he's doing is pointing towards one single message in this chapter, which we're going to get to in a minute. And it's reminding us of things that are true, and that's why it's, it's doing those things more than once through the poetry of the passage and saying, these things are true, so remember these things as you read. A very recognizable passage right here in verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And this doesn't sound like God of wrath, does it? It sounds like God of love. It sounds like joy and peace and kindness and all these things. And, and often you hear this verse quoted where you say, well, if you are a good person then God is going to bless you and give you anything and everything. Um, to use an old uh, phrase, God's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Now, the problem with that is, is that the rest of this chapter doesn't go along with that. So there's something else going on here. There's something specific. If you delight yourself in the Lord, you'll get the desires of your heart. But there's something else that goes along with that. What does it mean to delight yourself in the Lord? We'll keep pressing on. We'll answer all these questions. We also see in verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers. And then again in verse 8, fret not yourself. Don't worry about these things because God is in control. What we're going to see over and over again in this passage is that God is sovereign over this whole world and all the people in it. And so even while injustice is happening, even while all bad things are taking place around us, we know that God is ultimately just and working things toward a just end. So let's pause right here for a second. Let's define justice. What is justice? What does this mean? Justice is the right use of power for the benefit of all people. Whereas injustice is a use of power for the benefit of one person. So you see in, uh, when you see a movie, you're going to have the hero and you're going to have the villain. You've got the hero who uses power for good. You can use Batman and... Uh, and Two-Face if you want to, and you can use Superman and Lex Luthor. You can get all the stereotypes that you want to, and you see these basic themes, right? You see the one who has power, whether they want it or not, and they use it well for the good of all people. You see the villain who has power, and they use it for the good of themselves. And that's fundamentally what injustice is. So we see that manifested in our culture in Los Angeles. We see that there are 10,000 women in underground brothels right now in Los Angeles. In our city... Those people are at the expense of someone else's power, their success, their money. They're enslaved. That is a fundamental definition of injustice. And that's just in our city. 
There are other examples. In uh, Thailand, there's a woman named Mary. That's not her original real name, but her, um, her husband died, and so her and her daughter are left without any income, uh, left without really any way to survive. And so her young daughter says, I can go find a job. I've been offered a job off and, um, where I can go and work in this factory, and they'll take care of me. And so the mother says, no, I don't want you to do that. That sounds dangerous. And then her daughter disappears the next day. It's gone. A few months later, they find out her daughter was kidnapped, and that job offer was not real at all. And in fact, she's working in a brothel in another city a few hundred miles away. This is the injustice of our culture. This is what the wicked men that it's talking about here, I can't think of a better definition than that. We think of these people that are so twisted that they would put other people, ruin other people's lives, end other people's lives for their own benefit. That's the injustice we're looking at. Even here in Los Angeles, we see it. But we have a God who meets us where we are. And if we accept Him, we inherit the promise. And if we reject Him, we inherit His wrath, His ultimate justice. Because we have a God who is ultimately just, right? He's ultimately good. Therefore, we either measure up to His standard of justice, or we don't. And those are the only two options. And so there's a weight to this, right? There's a weight to the justice that we see in Scripture. There's a weight to God's wrath that's personally, personally applicable to us. So verses 1 and 8 say the same thing. Fret not yourself. In other words, don't worry about these things and we are not to worry because God is sovereign over them. Jesus echoes uh, words like we are commanded to be at peace with others because the meek will inherit the kingdom of God. Psalm 37 goes on, we'll read it in a second. We see this theme echoed, and then we see Jesus do it again in Matthew in his Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to read this big chunk of Psalm 37 here, 10 through 26. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows will be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by Him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, but he delights in his way. Though he fall, he will not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. I want to go straight to uh, verse 21 again. The, The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. So we give. We sacrifice. We live in such a way that it's not about us. We live for the benefit of others at the expense of ourselves. Those are the words we see echoed by Jesus. We'll see them specifically in a moment. And we also see that God gives to us. So we give sacrificially, and God also gives to us out of His bountiful blessing, His 
never-ending resources of joy and peace and food and provision for the things that we need. God gives to us. And we should give as well. God knows our hearts and He understands the brokenness within us all. The work of justice is continually shown to us as a natural response to what God has done and is doing for us. In Isaiah 58, verses 9 and 10, Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and He will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. When we care for others, God responds to that. When, when we live a life that is dedicated to justice, God responds to that. God blesses that. But in turn, if we live a life that is dedicated to ourselves, that doesn't go anywhere good. Not only is your life here fundamentally empty, while you may have success, air quotes, success, you may have money, but it's empty because it's, when your life is over, it's just over. Whereas when we live for justice, our lives have an eternal significance. Where the things that we do on this earth matter in eternity. And when we do justice, we do that. We have a life that is significant in eternity. Because we change lives, we reflect the love of our God and His grace and His mercy in a way that changes people's lives and gives them the opportunity by them hearing the good word of our God about His grace and His mercy that we may join in Him and His kingdom for eternity. And when we do justice, we reflect that. We reflect His kingdom. We reflect His justice. I have a quote here from uh, Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York, really influential on anthology. And, uh, and also, he, he had a sermon on this, uh, on the Isaiah text that was really influential for this. But he says, A supersensitive social conscience and a life poured out in deeds of service to others, and especially the poor, is the inevitable sign of real faith and connection to God. In other words, justice is the grand symptom of real faith. Psalm 37, 27 through 34. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice, he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart, his steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he has brought the trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, so he will exult you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. The Lord loves justice and he is faithful to us. Now let me ask you this. Are you feeling, are you feeling a little bit guilty yet, like you don't do enough? Guess where I get to really quickly. It's like, I want to do more. Okay, I want to do this. I want to do this. But the problem is, half the time, my motivation is still selfish. Like, I want to do these things so God will bless me. But that's not what the book says. 
We can make it say that really easily. We can make it say where it says, well, if I do good things, God's going to bless me. Right? We, we can take this out of context and make it do that. I may or may not have been doing that on purpose the last few minutes. Because that's the first way I read it. When I read it, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I need to go do good things so that God will in turn bless me. Or to bring it home even more, I need to go tithe so that God will in turn give me blessing. But that's not what that's for. The Bible never says that. The Bible doesn't say that you give so that God will respond. It says that you give out of the overflow of your heart. We do things in our community. We do justice. We serve. We live sacrificially because it's the overflow of our heart because we love people. We love a people in the same way that God loves them, whether they know Him or not. That's why we do justice. And it's so funny because we we can get to where we're going to do good things and we're still doing them for ourselves. It's, it's, our depravity is so funny, isn't it? Like We can sit here and go, yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. And then I get to the end of this passage and studying this week and I'm thinking, I'm still wanting to do these things for myself. But God is merciful to us even then. But He does call us, live sacrificially. Isaiah 1. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. We also read the the passage just after this in our scripture reading a minute ago. It says, let us be reasoned together in the ESV, but the Hebrew there says, come let us be reconciled. Where we read this and we say, okay, learn to do good. Seek justice. And then come let us be reconciled to Him so that our sins may be washed white as snow. We learn to do justice by the example set before us by God. We learn to do justice as our hearts overflow with love that comes from a relationship with Him. That comes from understanding Him as we read and study this Word. We seek Him in prayer. We sing to Him and declare that truth to each other in song. All of these things remind us of our need for Him, that we all need that redemption. We all need that grace. So we mentioned Marcion at the beginning. This was only about in the second century, very early church. This guy came along and he was trying to reconcile the Old Testament and the New Testament God, because he saw them the two as different. He saw this wrathful God in the Old Testament, he saw this gracious God in the New Testament. But the truth that we have is that the two are the same. But the wrath that God poured out in the Old Testament no longer has to be poured out on us because of Jesus. Come, let us be reconciled. It's it's, it's almost a legal term like in court. So our advocate for our justice is Jesus who declared for us and said they are clean, they are pure. Their wickedness is covered by me. In James 1.27, we see an example. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we talk about, we want to do good things, right? And often, 
we're still doing it from our own selfish desires. It's a religious thing sometimes. That's why people don't like religion often, is that they look at religion as just these structures that make us feel better about ourselves. And sometimes they are. But that's not true religion. That's not the religion that God is talking about in His Word. That's not the church that He is setting up in the New Testament. The church that He is setting up is one of justice. It's one of reflecting His kingdom and His love to the world. Guys, we are plan A for this, and there is no plan B. The mission of the church is to reflect the kingdom of God to the world. The kingdom, as in the way things the way the king wants them to be. So we reflect justice. Not just for God to bless us, but because God already has blessed us. I want to read this here from the words of Jesus in Matthew 25. Talking about the end of all things. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, when He will sit on His glorious throne, Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right and the goats on the left. And the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave Me food. I was thirsty and you gave Me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed Me. I was naked and you clothed Me. I was sick and you visited Me. I was in prison and you came to Me. Then the righteous answered Jesus, saying this, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these of my brothers, you did it to me. Now, I I can be kind of cheesy with this if I want to and talk about the homeless people that we walk by every day and how we should feel bad that we don't help them. I don't think it's actually going to help us a lot. Because at the end of the day, what we're looking for is a change of our hearts, not just our actions. So we can make each other feel bad about this all day long. And we should feel a little bad. But the result of this is, is that our hearts are changed. And so that we do these things, we help the homeless person on the side of the road that smells like urine, and that we don't want to get near them, We come to them because we love them in the same way God loves them. Because of the overflow of our relationship with our personal God who loves us, that we love people as well, and that we reflect that love in all that we do. We'll go back to Psalm 37, verses 39 and 40. We'll start to wrap up. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. The whole Bible is pointing us and showing us that yes, God is a God of justice and a God of wrath. But that everything that He is doing is for our good. And so while we see His wrath, it is not something for us to fear daily because He has given us a way to be free from it through His Son Jesus. His Son, who was fully God and fully man and came to earth 
and lived a sinless life so that he didn't owe the debt that we do by being fundamentally broken and selfish and sinful people. We automatically do the wrong thing more times than not. And yet God still gives us grace and says, you know what, I'm going to welcome you into my family should you only choose to accept what I've given you. And so He sent His Son who died for our sins so that we could be free from that. And then Jesus rose from the dead again, having borne all the wickedness of God on the cross so that no one else would have to. So that we could all be free. And then comes in the mission of the church. As Jesus comes up with His new life, we also join in that resurrection. We have new life here on earth. Not just in eternity, but here where we live our lives differently than we would have before. Our lives are lived differently because we do justice. As Micah 6.8 says, so we love mercy, walk humbly, live justly before our God. That's true religion. That's the faith that we've been passed down. That's what the church is to do. Is where we do that justice. We live that way. And again, this is something that happens in our hearts. We can change our actions, but if our actions are the only things that are changed, then we're just Pharisees. As Jesus says, we're just whitewashed tombs with nothing inside but dead bones. There's no meaning in that. But instead, we trust in our Savior. We trust in Jesus. We seek Him in His Word, through prayer. We sing, as we're going to do in a moment. We pray. We do all these things so that our hearts may be changed and we may overflow and serve our community well. That we may live like Jesus did and serve others. That we may visit the sick. We may clothe the naked. We may feed the hungry. That we may adopt those that have no family into our family. So, church family, the challenge this week is to go and do justice. Not for just so God will reward us, but because God has called us to it and because we love Him and it's an overflow of our hearts. So we'll do that this week. Let's pray. Our good God, we love You. And we seek to reflect that. We seek to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly, that we may not be the center of our own world, but that You would be the center And in turn, that we would love people in the way you do. So help us to do that. Help us to do that as a church community. Help us to do that as individuals. That we may live in a way that's sacrificial. It's a disadvantage to us for the benefit of others. We may give freely. So God, help us do that because we rely on you for this. Naturally, we're selfish and we're broken. Even with the hope that we have in Christ, we still naturally doubt it. We doubt you so often, and God, forgive us for that. And we again acknowledge our our neediness of you, our our need for us uh, to be changed from the inside out as only you can do. So God, help us do that today. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.